bit of a recap. Um, I mentioned last Sunday that the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And mental health is a, it's a big topic. It's a big umbrella term. And really, there's a lot of uh, more specific subtopics that fall under mental health. And I provided the following uh, definition of mental health, which is a quote from mentalhealth.gov. It says, mental health includes our emotional, our psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. So basically anything, everything we do in some way is connected with this topic of, of mental health as we go about our day-to-day lives. Well, last week my goal was to um, begin with the foundation underlying all human need. And I, and I put up the illustration. This is Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, the little triangle, with the basic, most basic human needs that he described being those physiological needs, the things that our bodies need, like food and water and air and shelter and clothing, warmth, safety, security, those fundamental things that are at the very bottom of that triangle. But I also think that Maslow was missing something even bigger than that, even more elemental. Because the base level of human need is not just bodily needs, it's the deep need of our souls. And we can have that whole triangle filled up. We can be a self-sufficient, thriving, successful business person, entrepreneur, whatever, just individual. But we can still feel empty. We can still feel like our life is missing something. We're always chasing the next thing or never satisfied. We can even still have feelings of hopelessness. So there's something missing there, I think. Because the most basic elemental need of our lives is the need of the soul and our soul is restless for a state of peace that's what it's seeking it's seeking a state of wholeness and peace of shalom as as um, the hebrew language describes it it craves it it thirsts for it but the problem is even within that triangle we can do a lot of things we can be self-sufficient. We can, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm king of the world. You know, I'm doing all these things, but still not feel satisfied, still not feel that wholeness because we're filling our lives with the wrong fundamental things. Sin separates us from God. It fractures our souls, but Christ, through the cross, God restores us and gives us a new life in his spirit. And that is, that fills the deepest need of our soul. So this month, we're, we're focusing on the Psalms. Just a few of the Psalms, not all the Psalms. And because I think when, you know, we want to really get real about life, I think the Psalms is one of the, the best places to go, in my opinion. And as I mentioned uh, about the Psalms last week, there is, there's just a realness and a depth to those words to the, to, the, to the praises, but also to the laments and the struggles that are expressed throughout the Psalms. They tell us that, you know, we don't always have to feel happy, but they do draw us into what it means to be holy. The Psalms point us to hope and to put our trust in God. 
And so we're looking to them for inspiration, for comfort, and for truth. And today um, we're going to look at actually two psalms, uh, chapter 42 and chapter 43. I don't know how many times in church you've actually covered two full chapters, but trust, it's not going to be that bad. But we're going to look at chapters 42 and 43 this morning, and there's a reason why. Um, But before we do that, let's pray. God of truth, God of divine love, we come to you seeking peace for our lives. We know that we are incomplete without you, that we can be utterly lost without you. So we pray that your spirit may fill our lives with joy in your presence and with a hope that endures. Strengthen us to walk according to the calling you have on our lives. Amen. So Psalm 42, um, we're actually going to begin before the first verse in that little kind of subtext. So this is a little excursus teaching point. In that little subheading, it says, for the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah. So most of the Psalms are attributed to David. You know, that's kind of who we think when we think of Psalms, David wrote the Psalms. He didn't write all the Psalms. And this one tells us that it's a masculine of the sons of Korah. Now, we don't really know exactly what a masculine is. That term's been a little lost to us. Probably has something to do with the, the literary piece that it is, or maybe the musical, um, uh, it's a, maybe a musical term. We're not exactly sure, but something in that realm, most likely. But it's composed by the sons of Korah. Who are they? Well, we do know a little bit about this group. We know that the, the sons of Korah were actually a kind of a sub-clan, think about it like that, of the Levites. And the Levites were a tribe of Israel that was responsible for overseeing the temple and Israel's worship practices. That was, that was their role to play. And the sons of Korah, being a kind of a subgroup of that larger Levitical group, were tasked with guarding the threshold of the tabernacle. So before the temple was built, they were tasked with guarding um, the, the threshold, kind of the doorway of the tabernacle. And then when the temple was built, similarly, they were essentially the doorkeepers. And they were also responsible for the Ark of the Covenant. But we also learn something else about them, and it's recorded in First Chronicles chapter 6. Now, if you know anything about the book of Chronicles, especially the first nine chapters, it's, I'm just going to say, it, it's pretty boring. It's a lot of genealogy. If you're having trouble falling asleep at night, just open up to First Chronicles and start reading. It's better than counting sheep. Like, it's great. But there are a few helpful insights that even those first chapters, listening through all these names, there's some information there that's, that's important. So this is First Chronicles chapter 6. I'm going to pick up at verse 31, and it says, These are the men David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest there. They ministered with music before the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They performed their duties according to the regulations laid down for them. And then it goes through this list of names, this kind of genealogy of these men And if you go down to verse 37, you will find the name Korah, exactly like what we uh, have as the sons of Korah. So they were a part of this special group that David 
tasked with being the, the musicians, kind of the worship leaders. And it makes sense that at least 11 of the psalms that we have are attributed to the sons of Korah. Now, I, I, I mention all that one just because, you know, it's kind of maybe neat to know. But it does have a relevance, I think, as we get into the actual psalm itself. So now for the text. It begins, and uh, we have verse 1. There we go. Yep. It begins, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, if those first words sound familiar, I kind of hope they do, they're the first words of the hymn we just sang. As the deer pants... I'm not going to sing it. I'm not a good singer. But Kristen can sing it if she wants to. You want to be put on the spot right now? (laughs) No, just kidding. Uh, She would. But uh, no, that's the first words of the psalm we just sang. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you or pants for you. I love the imagery of those words. I mean, you just kind of see this mental picture. You know, this deer, this creature going down to the water because it needs water. It needs it to survive. It needs it for life. And so it goes down to the water to be refreshed, to be nourished by that water. That's the illustration of our souls. Our souls need God. And uh, one commentary, I I liked its little concise quote. It says that thirst is not just a desire. For the human body cannot live without water. For the psalmist, God is a necessity of life. Jesus said, I am the living waters. Verse 2, it, it continues. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? There's, a, there's kind of a shift that happens. It starts very poetic and you know this 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 closeness with God my soul thirsts for God when can I go and meet with God my tears have been my food day and night paint that mental picture right can you sense the the feeling and the emotion that this person's drawn to tears and they just feel like that's you know you know that feeling when you just can't eat food like you're just so distraught you can't eat we're so upset they're saying my tears have been my food that's not a happy place to be in. And we don't know exactly what the, what the circumstance or the situation is here for the psalmist. We don't know all the background details. But we can sort of gather um, that something that has happened is that the psalmist has been physically taken away from the place of worshiping God. They've been taken captive, maybe drawn into exile. We're not sure, you know, if this is the Babylonian exile as they're leaving or if this is just some other occurrence, maybe out in battle, um, something like that. But the sons of Korah, they're responsible for being at the temple, being the doorkeepers, being these musicians, and they've been taken physically away from that place. The next verse, verse 4, supports this a little more says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So they've been taken away and he's just left with memories. 
I remember when we used to be at the temple singing and praising God. That was my job. That was my role. But it's no longer, I'm, I'm removed from that now. He's reflecting back on these days of peace when he was able to freely and joyfully praise God with the, with the festive throng. We don't use the word throng very often, but, you know, think crowded group of people. Think like rock concert. You know, that's a throng of people. The psalmist remembers when worshiping God was a joyful occasion, and now, now life doesn't feel so great. He's been separated from it. He's held captive. Now, this next verse, it's, it's particularly important. And I can say this with some certainty because the lines of this verse is repeated three times throughout this song. And it, it's most like, think of it like a, like a repeating chorus. You know, just like when we sing a song, we have verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Similarly with this, three times these same words are mentioned throughout this song. Why, my soul, are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in god for i will yet praise him my savior and my god now since it repeats three times i'm not going to talk more about it now we'll come back to it so we're going to continue in verse six my soul is downcast within me therefore i will remember you from the land of the jordan the heights of hermon from mount mazar Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I love that line. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. That Hebrew word for deep there is tehom. And if you think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, when it says, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. That's that same word, to home, that deep. To home, in the, for the ancient Israelites, implied a, a, a chaotic, watery flood. And so when it says, deep calls to deep, to home calls to to home, it's one chaotic, watery flood calling to another chaotic, watery flood, like a, like a turbulent waterfall. You know, imagine being jostled around in a, in a flash flood. You know, we know about flash floods in Texas and this part of the country. Imagine being swept away in that current and just being, you know, ripped here and there, having no control over it. I think that's the imagery he's trying to paint here. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Has anyone been to the beach in rough surf and that big wave comes crashing over you and then all of a sudden, like, you have no control. It just makes you start somersaulting and everything and even kind of holds you underwater sometimes or it can. It's kind of scary. The power of water, the power of that current, there's very little we can do sometimes. I think that's the imagery here. The situation that the psalmist finds himself in is like this overwhelming flood. He's lost control. He's overwhelmed in the circumstances of his life. You know, he's not literally in a flood, but the circumstances of his life, figuratively, figuratively, he's just swallowed up. But he continues. Verse 8. By day... 
the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So what's interesting here is he turns his attention to God. Before this, in those first seven verses, the psalmist has kind of just been sort of talking about himself, reflecting on his current circumstance and where he is personally. But we see here now there's a shift, and it's now directed toward God. The psalmist knows that God is with him day and night. And now it says, and a prayer to the God of my life. So now notice in verse 9, this is actually kind of beginning his prayer to God. He's told us his circumstance. He's told us, you know, the the troubles that he's facing. Now he's going to enter this prayer and he says, I say to God, my rock. You know, that's not a God, thank you for this day kind of prayer. Like this is going to be an emotional prayer. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by, my, by the enemy? Listen to this line. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? The psalmist really prays to God what's on his heart. Not holding back. It's honest, it's raw, it's open, it's emotional. God, I'm feeling abandoned feeling sad, I'm feeling crushed, feeling weighed down by others, I'm tired, my body's exhausted, and people, they're being hateful, they're being condescending. But then he repeats this phrase, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now that ends Psalm 42. You're like, great, finish the chapter. But actually Psalms 42 and 43 are connected. They're linked. And you, you might even, your Bible might even have a footnote that says something like many Hebrew manuscripts, Psalm 42 and 43 are combined as one psalm. And there's good reason for it, as we will see, because Psalm 43 picks up in that same line of thought. It's kind of that same prayerful line of thought and we'll see it ends again with this same line so we'll get there but it begins again um, as a prayer to God but now the prayer shifts to, to a petition to God he's asking God he's pleading with God now and I'm going to move a little more quickly through this section so verses one through four vindicate me my God And plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He wants restoration. He wants that peace and joy once again. He says, God, here's my plea. Vindicate me. Rescue me. Send me your light, your faithful care. Let those be the things that lead me. 
bring me back to your holy mountain. Bring me back to the place where you dwell, to your presence. And then I'll go to the altar of God. My God, my joy, my delight, and I will praise you. Because that's what you've called me to do, to praise you. And it ends with that same refrain, that same chorus. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So that's all of Psalm 43. So there, we covered two chapters in the Bible. But the song, the son of Korah here is struggling with life, right? It's pretty obvious. Life isn't what he wants it to be. And he's been physically pulled away from his home, his job, his responsibilities, his place of worship. And he feels like he's in a torrent, this turbulent flood. He has no control over his situation. He feels sad and lost and just completely overwhelmed, like waves crashing over us. He feels physically distant from God because he's been pulled physically distant. But we could even say that he feels spiritually distant from God, too. You know, God, why have you rejected me? But he knows he can still pray to God, right? That's what this psalm is about. It's a prayer. He moves toward God in prayer, even in all the crazy circumstances that he finds himself in. And though, you know, the specific circumstances may be different, I think that that feeling of being completely overwhelmed by life is not foreign to us. I wonder if you have ever come to a place where you have literally asked yourself, why aren't things going my way? I don't have that peace and joy that I once had. What's wrong with me? Why am I so sad? Or put another way, why, oh my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? When we feel overwhelmed, or like we were just in an overwhelming flood of life, we get stressed. You know, it triggers our anxiety. It can lead to panic attacks for some. We can begin to feel like things are hopeless, and that the undertow is figuratively pulling us out into deeper and deeper water, and it's getting just harder and harder to keep up and to swim. And we feel like we're just drowning emotionally. Well, with Psalm, Psalms 42 and 43 in mind, I want to offer at least what I hope is a helpful acronym. There's nothing special about this. I just came up with this. So, you know, um, I was going to use SOS, you know, like ship at sea in distress, but I couldn't figure out how to make SOS work. So we're, we're just using help, right? H-E-L-P. So the first letter, H, Honesty. In our text today, we get an inside look. Like we get this heartfelt ex- prayer from someone struggling with not only their outward situation, not only you know, the circumstance that they find themselves in, but we get an inner look at their inner thoughts and their struggles and their turmoil and their emotions that they're battling. So we've got to be honest with ourselves. If you are feeling overwhelmed, take some time. Do some introspection. You know, know thyself. Ask yourself if you are just situationally overwhelmed. 
You know, everything that's just demanding your time, everything that's coming upon you, are you do you just have too much on your plate? You know, one of the lessons from the pandemic, maybe silver linings of the pandemic, it made us slow down, right? We had to let some things go. I think through that, Jessica and I, we realized how much, how much work we create for ourselves, how much we just find ourselves go, go, go all the time, and, and the pandemic just kind of calmed us, brought us to a pace where we're like, we don't have to do all that. I mean, there's still a lot to do, but some of these things aren't that important. Sometimes we need to tell other people no. Like, I just, sorry, I just can't, you know. And it's hard to tell other people no, but it's harder to tell ourselves no, right, if we're really honest. Sometimes it's harder to stop ourselves, to spend some time with ourselves and just be honest with yourself. How, how are you doing? How's your soul or you can ask yourself if you're overwhelmed by external forces. Maybe it's expectations of others. Maybe it's your job. Um, just other things putting pressure on you. And it might be necessary roles and responsibilities. I mean, we can't just you know, stop being a mom or a dad or whatever. There are certain things that are just necessary that add to the stress and sometimes that overwhelming sense of, I just can't do everything. I can't be enough. We can't be all things to all people. We're not Jesus. So we may have to be selective. We may have to set boundaries, let some little things go. But we also have to ask ourselves and be honest with ourselves, you know, what internal forces are we experiencing? What inner feelings, inner thoughts, inner emotions are we struggling with? We have to be honest. Because we're really good about lying to ourselves. We're good about lying to others, putting on the happy face, you know, doing the Facebook post. Yeah, everything's happy. But and we can tell ourselves that sometimes underneath that, we're struggling. We've got to be honest with ourselves. And the second part builds off of the first one. So first be honest and then express yourself honestly. Express your emotions. Don't bottle it up. You know, sure, there's times when you just have to kind of put our head down and work hard and grind it out, but don't always feel like you have to be Wonder Woman or Superman. You don't have to carry all the, the burden, all the weight on yourself. It's okay to bleed. We're human. One thing that I like to, uh, or one expression I like to use is give yourself grace. In church, we talk about extending grace to other people all the time. Love others. Go out there and serve others. You know, show others the grace of God. Give yourself some grace too. Because the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor, what? As yourself. Give yourself some grace. The psalmist doesn't hold back in expressing his anguish and his confusion and his sorrow. He expresses that freely. He's honest with God. And so be honest with God in your prayers. I, I like to say that the best prayer, the best prayer we can pray is an honest prayer, not just the lip service. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this meal. Peace out. But be honest. Bring before God what we're struggling with. Bring before God our brokenness because we're broken. He knows you're broken. He knows I'm broken. We're all broken. So be honest and just lay your brokenness before God. 
And the last thing I'll say about this, uh, this idea of expressing yourself, be honest and express yourself with someone else. You're not meant to do this journey alone. I think this is probably the hardest part because it requires vulnerability. I get that. It requires humility. But it's important that we seek out a parent. We seek out a spouse or a mentor or a trusted friend, a pastor, a counselor. And we express ourselves. We feel like we're in that place. And if it's a serious matter, if it's an immediate need, call a helpline or help hotline. All right, so be honest, express yourself. Now the L in help, lift your heart and your eyes to God, especially in your prayers. You know, yes, we want our prayers to be honest, but we don't want to just like vent to God and then hang up the phone, right? It's, prayer is a two-way call. Express yourself honestly to God and then, just like the psalmist did, lift your heart to God, direct it toward God, to receive from God. Don't forget that the psalmist said, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. It's okay for us to say, you know, God, here's my situation. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. I don't know what to do, but I'm placing my trust in you. Don't forget that last part. God, I know what I want to happen, but I trust you to lead me. I'm going to surrender to you. All right, so lift up your your eyes and your heart to God. And now finally, the P is for prayerfully repeat or repetition. Three times in this fairly short work, the psalmist said, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Three times. I think the fact that the psalmist repeats these same words three times tells us something about those words is significant. And I think... One significant thing is that there's a real reality to hardship. There's a realness to that, that he is facing. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed in me? He's not just kind of glossing it over. It's like that's a real struggle. There's a realness there. It's not trivial. And the second uh, thing that I think is significant is the importance of trusting God. Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. It ends in doxology. It ends in praise. It ends in putting and surrendering our trust in God. And I also think that the reason why the psalmist repeats this three times is sometimes repetition is good for the soul. Sometimes we need to hear things more than once, right? More than twice. More than a few times. We need maybe certain verses that are dear to us. You know, when, when times come, those verses speak more and more to us. This is, this is a good one if you, if you need one. But having that repetition, you know, if we feel distant from God, make it your prayer practice to make these words your words. Repeat them. 
We may not always feel close to God, but that's kind of the beauty of spiritual discipline is it keeps us aligned with God in such a way that when we, when we get to the end and we look back, we see that, you know, God, first my question was, where were you in all this? And we look back and then we can say, there you were in all of this. You were there. You were with me. So when you're feeling overwhelmed with life and all its drama, its demands, consider help. Be honest, express yourself, lift your eyes to God, and repeat. Amen. Let us join in prayer. God, we are.